Namaste and good evening to all of you. I have spoken a few times when speaking about yoga in daily life and other such issues, and when speaking about the usefulness, the pertinence of tantric yoga as we practice it in Agama, I spoke about the concept of yugas and of Kali Yuga, and I feel that although there is a recording on this subject, most people don't know what is the story of these yugas. And uh, when I'm reading on internet, I see all sorts of uninformed people giving opinions. And uh, there is a lot of confusion, exactly as nowadays there is a lot of confusion about the chakras. People are fuzzing and confusing this subject of the chakras so much. And um, therefore, I wanted, I felt inspired tonight to rather talk about the, this concept of yuga or cosmic cycles and in particular about the concept which you heard me speaking about, the so-called Kali Yuga, which is supposed to be the name of the cycle in which we are now. And therefore, <clears throat> the word, the concept, yuga, attention, it's not yoga, it's yuga, it's a totally different word. This concept of yuga represents a concept in Hindu mysticism, and the Tibetans use it also, so it exists in Buddhism as well, of a cycle of time. A cycle of time can be a day. A cycle of time can be a season, and it recurs periodically. A cycle in time can be a year. A cycle in time can be a lunar cycle. A cycle in time can be a cycle of 12 years of the Chinese calendar. A cycle can be the 12 years of the Chinese calendar multiplied with the five elements because they happen like this and that gives rise to a big cycle of 60 years. Therefore, uh, in the East and not only, there exist many concepts of the fact that history is a cycle, that things are happening according to a cycle. In Christianity, for example, and in Judaism and in Islam, God created the world some 7,000 years ago. Some 6,000 years ago, God drowned the world with a big flood because he was pissed off. And around 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and finally brought some redemption, a new covenant with God. And uh, now we are waiting for the latter days, for the doomsday, when Jesus will come the second time. And then it will be over and the evil will be put in chains for a thousand years. And there will be a new earth and a new heaven. This is not a cycle thing. It has a beginning, it has an end. It's like everything happens just once and it started 7,000 years ago and it might end tomorrow or in a hundred years or in a thousand years and then that's it. Uh, this linear view of time is not accepted in metaphysics. It's considered to be just a myth, just a legend, just a symbol. Because, as people have pointed out, in nature, we see that everything recurs. And since everything recurs, the planets are turning on almost circular orbits. And there is always a recurrence, always a recurrence, always a recurrence. And that's, for, that's why the Hindu gurus, they have said, as above, so below. The microcosm and the macrocosm are just the same. Therefore, the universe runs in cycles. Some of these cycles we see, 
and we say, well, now it's November, if I'm a tulip farmer, I have to plant my bulbs, because usually you'd plant some of them in November. And you, if you plant your tulips in February or in August, it's going to be a disaster, it's not going to be good for tulips. So, to know exactly what the season where you are and what's happening, it's very important. That's why understanding the cycles of time is very, very important. The Chinese, for example, make a big deal of this. Like, uh, one of the worst year for women, and I'm sorry if somebody's here uh, exactly from that year, was considered by the Chinese 1966 or 1967, when it was the year of the fire horse. A woman born as a fire horse will have a lot of challenges, let's put it mildly. In Asia, this concept was so powerful that in China, in Japan, in Korea, probably in Thailand and other places, all the women who got pregnant with daughters in 1966 performed abortions. It was as simple as that. Like so much they believed that these cycles bring some things. For example, right now, we are in the year, we just entered in the year of the monkey, and it's the year of the fire monkey. The monkey is equivalent to the Sagittarius in Western astrology, and it's a fire sign already. So this year, it's a year corresponds to fire, Sagittarius, and it's on the fire element. That's why the Chinese astrologers, if you'd bother to read any horoscope for 2016, they say, be careful about too much fire, be, be careful about getting dry. The least thing which you can do is go and swim half an hour every day. Like, go and get contact with water you need to cool down this year. You need to have a feng shui in your room with one of these running water things. You need to keep some running water in your room. And always remember that this year water will help you. Because this is a year where water is deficient. So that's how these people think that understanding the cycle, understanding the energies of the time, you can understand many, many things, and you can avoid a lot of trouble. Therefore, there exist many, many such cycles. Everything is a cycle. Like, big planets like Pluto, they create a cycle, if I remember correctly, of about 160 years. So nobody, for example, can catch Pluto in all the astrological signs, because it takes too long time. Saturn, which is, uh, in astrology, a planet related to destiny and karma. The Greeks have called Saturn chronos, which means time, like chronos, chronology, chronographs. So Saturn, which is one of the justifiers of time, and is related with karma and with a few other things, comes back every 29 years. It is a study. I once talked to uh, Jeffrey Armstrong, a very, very famous Vedic astrologer living in North America, and he said, most of the time when people come to me to get astrological consultations, they have a transit of Saturn. They usually come around the age of 29 when Saturn is coming back. Like when Saturn is coming back after a full 29-year cycle, there is a crisis. And the same is valid when you get to become 58. Again, it's 29 plus 29. And if you live a real long life, it's the same happens when you are 87. Like every 29 years, the shit hits the fan because Saturn finishes a full cycle and it comes in the position where it was when you were born. So in this way, <coughs> in astrology, in occultism, <coughs> 
and in spirituality in general, there exists this concept that many, many astronomical and subtle events, they are happening cyclically. And um, even in the human life, you are having the first, some yogis believe that the first seven years is the biggest development of your muladhara. Between the age of seven to 14, you develop Zvadhisthana, and at the, end of that, at the end of that age, you start becoming a teenager and having sexual impulses. Between the age of 14 to 21, you develop or you should develop your Manipura, and then your personality is built. Between 28 to 28, 21 to 28, you fall in love, you make a family, and that's when your Anahata opens. So there are like cycles of seven years. And when you reach to 49 years, you have finished the cycle of all the seven chakras, and then you start all over again. And thus, there are many, many such cycles. Uh, some of them are speculative. The length of them is very different. And many, many confusions are arising for this. I've heard many people understanding wrong things, especially when I speak about metaphysics, when I speak about the human evolution, as I did in the first um, workshop, in the first satsang in this year, in January. And that's why we need to tell you what the tradition says. So the tradition basically speaks about various cycles. And there is one which is way, way longer than the human life. And you may think <coughs> that this one is unimportant because from the standpoint of the cosmic cycles, I drew there a diagram. <coughs> you are basically born in the same part of a cycle and you are dying in the same part of a cycle. And it shouldn't make any difference. But actually, the yogis of India and Tibet pay a lot of attention to this particular cycling. They pay attention to the others like they say, you know, this year, if any one of you is going to get blockages on Svadhisthana Chakra, it's going to happen this year. Because this year, the water element is deficient, as the Chinese say. So this year, if you work on Manipura, you are going to get a lot of Manipura. Maybe too much of it, maybe too dry. But be careful that this year you should not forget your Svadhisthana, because it's a year which is predisposed to dryness. And dryness is a metaphoric word. Maybe it will happen in agriculture <coughs> as well, like there may be many droughts, but that's not. It's a metaphorical thing which simply speaks about the elements as such. So, this being said, um, the yogis have a reference to many cycles, but those are coming and going. And the fact that Milarepa was born in the year of the sheep, uh, of the fire sheep or something, and that I don't know, Abhinava Gupta was born in the beginning of I don't know which cycle and so on. They are a bit significant. And exactly as astrology, you know, when you know that Swami Shivananda was a Virgo and Ramakrishna was an Aquarius, you can absolutely see the difference in temperament between those two. Like Shivananda is such a typical Virgo and Ramakrishna is such a typical Aquarius that of course it's important and if any one of you is trying to understand what is enlightenment, what does yoga lead to, how are the great bodhisattvas and buddhas, how are the great yogis and so on, if you look at the lives of Ramakrishna and Shivananda or of Mahananda Mai and Yogananda, you can get confused because there are very many differences. Some of them were very settled and down to earth 
and some of them were very crazy and unstable. And the list could continue. <coughs> then you say, is this because of yoga? Is this because of the spiritual practice? No. It's actually simply because of the astrological sign under which they are born. And even enlightened beings are different according to their astrological sign. And thus, uh, what I'm saying here is understanding elements of these cycles is very important. But there is one of these cycles which is misunderstood a lot and it's very discreet because it's a long cycle. <coughs> and there are cycles even longer than that, which I'm going to show. And because of this, a lot of misunderstanding arises. There exists a division of the cosmic cycles in yugas. But by now, those of you who are, have been a little bit around in yoga, you probably know one thing. The Indians, and generally Orientals, Tibetans fall into that quite a bit, they are very, very bad with names. Like, they don't have this Germanic stability that they call one thing, one thing, and so on. There are three asanas in yoga that have the same name. There are asanas in yoga which are baptized with three different names. There are techniques which in one text are called Yoni Mudra and in another text are called Shanmukhi Mudra. And it creates complete confusion. And the same is happening with the yugas. Traditionally, the yugas are forming a cycle which is astronomically justified. And the astronomical justification of this cycle, which influences us a lot, such a cycle called a yuga, a complete yuga, is considered to be generated by the wobbling movement of the axis of the earth, which is a movement which changes the pole star. Like the axis, the earth behaves like a top, which is turned, and because it wobbles, the axis of the earth points at a different pole star. The pole star which is today is not the pole star which we had 12,000 years ago. <clears throat> the cycle, this whole cycle of rotation, which is an astronomical cycle, it's based on something solid, it's a cycle which lasts approximately 26,000 years. If you want exactly the date which is given in most almanacs and astronomical treatises, is 25,868 years. This big cycle is considered to be a cycle after which a lot of astrological and astronomical things get repeated. I remember one of my gurus who commented and said, the sunset which you had tonight will not be repeated again. Like everything in nature is like a kaleidoscope and when you turn around the kaleidoscope, it's like an endless variation and you never get the same image in a kaleidoscope. So he said, because of the variance in nature, you will never get the same combination and every sunset is unique. And then he thought a little bit and he said, or maybe perhaps it shall be repeated in 26,000 years. Like in Truman Show, like in the Groundhog Day. No, the world is having a cycle and then many things can be repeated. Like today you can say in the morning it rained and in the afternoon we had blue sky and a splendid sunset. And in the night I don't know what happens. The same combination will never repeat except perhaps in 26,000 years. That's the concept, that there is a big cycle <coughs> which from the standpoint of the earth 
is enough. In 26,000 years, somebody can have the same DNA or pretty much the same as you. And then although you don't find two identical human beings today, you might find another you in 26,000 years. Like the nature has a sort of big cycle and that cycle is enough. Nobody can demonstrate what I said. People cannot follow the history for 26,000 years and especially in such details. And it's like in the Truman Show. You'll never be seeing that some things are done cyclically because the loop is too big and it's made so big so that ignorance can persist. Because otherwise people would see through the Maya. People would see through the creation. People would see through the illusion and they will realize that. But like this, it's like nature. We just call it nature and that's it. And then we don't see any meaning or any order in it. The yogis say that such an order exists and one of these orders is reflected by the cosmic cycles. These cycles are divide. a whole cycle is called the yuga and then they are divided in smaller cycles. There exist, and that creates a huge confusion, there exist cycles which are much bigger than that. A yuga is about 26,000 years and there exists a cycle which is made of 7 plus 7, those are magic numbers, 14, so 14 yugas together, they get to the point <coughs> where they are like 342,000 years, and that's called a manvantara, or a big yuga, a maha yuga. And then you are taking, I don't know, a million manvantaras, and that creates a cycle of 342 million or billion years, I even forgot, and that's considered to be a day of Brahma. That's a sort of an illustration that there exists levels of existence, planes of this universe, where the time flows completely different. Like what is a day for Brahma, the creator, is for the universe 342 billion years. An inconceivable amount of time. Scientists say that if there was a Big Bang, according to this Big Bang theory, maybe it happened 10 or 20 billion years ago. Like 342 billion years ago, is an inconceivable amount of time and we can't understand it. Funnily enough, this theory of the Hindus here at this level, which is not why I called you tonight, this is a very beautiful thing, which is activating your Vishuddha chakra and your Ajna chakra. It's a parenthesis to my lecture tonight because it shows you how the Hindus and many yogis, they thought really big. Like people say, what am I doing tomorrow? And the Hindus are thinking about what happened more than 342 billion years ago. Like somebody took your wristwatch and dropped it on the floor and it broke. And you get pissed off. And this happened not with a watch but with some shelf with one of my colleagues, with one of my brothers in yoga many years ago and with our common teacher. So this guy breaks something and he says, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry, how can I fix this? And the teacher looks at him and he says, in a hundred million years, who will remember or care about this? Like when you think like this, you can be detached. Some of you are pissed off that your girlfriend dropped you. Who will care in a hundred million years? When you think like this, all these things become shit. If you go to Vishuddha and Ajna, which not many people go, this is a way of thinking on Vishuddha and Ajna, it's like all the life becomes a turd, a piece of shit. You know, it doesn't really matter. 
What's happening is just a storm in a cup of tea. It's not important. Who will hear about it even a million years from now? No? We people cannot determine if Jesus was born on the 25th of December or whenever he was born. You know? We can't remember that in 2,000 years. Who will care about something in a million years? Nothing. Yes, the divine consciousness will care. But again, I'm not taking commentaries during satsangs. You want to ask questions, please come to Q&A. So, um, the idea is that that's a way of thinking. Of course, everything has a relevance in the cosmic consciousness, but that's why 250,000 people die in a tsunami and God doesn't get a wrinkle on his forehead. No, like things, when you look at them at a very, very big level, everything becomes very small and very unimportant and the human being feels surpassed. There is a legend in the Puranas of India quoted magnificently by Heinrich Zimmer in uh, his book about symbols in the Indian culture, where he says that the king of the gods, Indra, which is the Hindu equivalent of Jupiter, gets megalomanic. He starts asking the architect, Brihaspati, to build him magic castles in thin air and something like this. And eventually Brihaspati and so on realizes the king is on a megalomanic trip. The king of the gods, there's not a human being. Even the gods go crazy sometimes, uh, the, the medium gods, these gods like the gods of Egypt, of, of uh, end of Egypt, end of Greece, like Zeus and Hermes and the likes of them. And Brihaspati, the architect, not because he couldn't do it, but because it was a lot of vain effort into it, he goes and complains to Vishnu. Vishnu who is located above, way above, on levels above the common gods. And... So he says, look, we have a problem in the world of the gods, in Devachan. Uh, our leader is a little bit in a megalomanic trip. You guys who are above, who are the protectors of everything, do something. And Vishnu says, have no fear. And then the following episode happens. At the castle of Vishnu, there appears a young boy. And it's a beautiful boy with signs of belonging to the Brahmin caste. And he looks like a little saint or something. And... Uh, I'm sorry, Indra invites him and honors him like, you know, this is a high-level Brahmin and so on. And he feeds him with food. And at some point, uh, the little kid sees a row of ants crawling on the floor and he starts laughing. And uh, Indra says, why? A wise child like you, what have you seen? And the child says, I'd prefer not to tell you this one. And he insists, he says, I'm your host, please tell me. And then the child says, actually, each one of these ants has been an Indra in some previous universe, and now they are incarnated as ants, and there are thousands of them. Which makes Indra immediately see, like, I'm, I could be an ant one day. I'm nothing. I'm like, what's the big deal that I want castles in the thin air? And then an ascetic knocks at the door just five minutes later. And, of course, Indra puts him in a place of honor and feeds him and so on, and then he sees a funny thing. This ascetic is half naked and he has hair on his chest. But on his chest there is a bald spot. Like he has a bald spot on his, in his hair. And he says, I'm sorry for being indiscreet, but I haven't seen this before. Is there a meaning? Are you doing some ascetic practice? Do you shave your chest? What's happening? And the ascetic again goes and says, I would prefer I wouldn't tell you this. And uh, he insists. And he says, well, this number of hairs is the number of Indras in a day of Brahma. And every time one passes away, a hair is falling off my chest. 
And he says, if you look at it, it seems like half have passed. And Indra, after these two stories, goes in such a Vishuddha, Ajna, Puritanic shock, like he realizes, what am I doing here, megalomanically building castles, when Indras are coming and going, and I'm just a piece of dust in this universe. You know, like all his ego goes to dust. And then he wants to run in the forest and he becomes an ascetic. He says, I better start doing meditation and reach nirvana to save my soul, you know, because I will continue being just a stupid deity and eventually I'll disappear. And uh, then, of course, the ascetic was Shiva in disguise. Vishnu called Shiva in help and said, come, we have to give a lesson to that dude. And then uh, Vishnu and Shiva, they have to fight with him to tell him, don't go in the forest. You are Indra right now. We need an Indra. You have a function to fulfill. You have a karma yoga to do. So kind of, you know, we didn't want to do it that hard as to scare you and send you to the forest. You know, it's like we overdid it a little bit. Chill out, you know, stay here as an Indra. Just stop being begalomanic and building useless projects which will serve nothing to nobody in time. So that's the use of going into these huge cycles, that there are days of Brahma of 342 million, billion years, and then the, uh, a thousand days of Brahma are equal to a day of Vishnu. So a day of Vishnu is 342 trillion years. And you guessed it, a thousand days of Vishnu are worth a day of Shiva, a day of Mahadeva. So it's like all these ways of talking about astronomical units like this they have a purpose in educating the human being to meditate. You know, like I remember one yogi who was a very provocative, joking temperament. Once he made a meditation for his pupils. Like in all seriousness, he organized, he said from 10 to 11 we meditate on this. And the theme of meditation was what will happen in 70, 777 billion years from now. Can you try to project your imagination, mind, whatever, and see what will be the universe like in 777? Of course, it's an arbitrary number. It's like a gazillion of years. You know, it's like a sort of a impossible sum. But that, of course, blocks the mind. Because it's like you cannot even think about it. And when you think about it, you realize, like, what am I doing here? You know, it's like, what's this? What has that got to do with anything? It puts a ratio. It puts a... Um, um, a comparison and that's why in India they like these big cycles and then sometimes if you tell to people now we are in Kali Yuga then many people say oh Kali Yuga uh, the big cycle is 342 uh, billion years Kali Yuga is maybe one tenth of it like 342 million years and it started at the time of the dinosaurs or God knows when and like what am I getting out of this not much. It's too big. It helps me to focus on my own ego, how small my ego is and how important I think my life is and all the things in my life. But on the other hand, it, uh, this is a cycle which is too big to have anything practical. <clears throat> That's why I'm calling your attention on the fact that there is a more practical, not very practical, but you are going to see it gives us some data which are invaluable, and there is a cycle which is of 26,000 years, and this cycle is divided in four, and those four are equal quarters. Please be advised that somewhere in India, some astrologers are trying to play smart, 
<clears throat> Indians generally in history have proven themselves to be great intellectual speculators. If Patanjali writes the Yoga Sutra, then you will find 50 people who write commentaries to the Yoga Sutra. This is a talent in India that people take something and then they start splitting the hair on it a lot. So on these things with the Yugas, many astrologers have been splitting the hair and some of them, they just followed intellectual concepts, not metaphysical, traditional concepts, and they have got into funny places. The yogis of India tend to say, and that's what the majority of metaphysicians say, that the cycles of nature are completely similar, as above, so below. So, for example, if in a year you have four seasons with the dominance of the four elements, like there is spring with the air element, there is summer with the fire element, at least in the northern hemisphere. There is autumn with the earth element, and then there is winter with the water element. You have all the four elements, and then there is the fifth element, which does not belong to any of the seasons, because that's in the middle of the cross of the seasons. If that's how the situation of a year is, that's how the situation of the yuga is also. Like a yuga is 26,000 years, and it's divided in four quarters, exactly as a year of 12 months is divided in four quarters of three months each, and each one of them is a season. And, therefore, that the yuga cycles are divided in quarters, which are of approximately 6,400 years each of them. That's the division, that's the duration of a yuga. Why am I telling you this? One of my spiritual heroes, up till this, this in this one he is not one of my spiritual heroes, uh, Sri Yukteswar, the guru of Paramahamsa Yogananda, a big yogi with a great fame, he practiced a weird Bengali system of astrology, which unfortunately is one of these weird ones which is unverifiable. He says that... Uh, I, don't, I forgot with which one he starts, but one of them is worth one unit, the second of them is worth two units, the third of them is worth three units, and the fourth of them is worth four units. All in all, ten units. And therefore, like one of the yugas is shorter and one of them is longer than the others. And the metaphysicians have asked, to what does this correspond in nature? As above, so below. Where do you have any cycle like this in nature? Nothing. So it's an intellectual speculation. It's not really corresponding to anything which we see in nature. And that's why there exist four classical yugas and a lot of speculation. And I'm trying to read those to you. Believe me, this gives an important or some very important, although some very provocative, uh, spiritual teachings. Like there will be something that you'll want to meditate on after this evening of presentation. The four classical yugas, which define our history, they are four in number, and I wrote the names on the board there. They are called Satya Yuga. Satya means truthfulness, and it's also called Krita, of mercy, of compassion. And the third one is called Treta Yuga, and already from the second one, the names are the names of an ancient game of dice, which is mentioned in the Mahabharata, that people were throwing dice, and the worst throw was the smallest number. And the smallest number is one. And then above it it's two. And above it it's three. Treta means three. The yuga of number three. And then the next one is obviously Dvapara yuga. Dva is two in Sanskrit. And then finally you've got Kali yuga. Kali yuga means one. And Kali is a word which means bummer. 
like bad luck. Like when you got that one, you are in trouble. Uh, now comes a little parenthesis here. Kali happens to be in India, the name of that goddess from there. In our case here, she's made of bronze, but traditionally in Bengal, she is made in black marble. She is the black goddess of India, Mother Kali, the devourer. And that's why when you say Kali Yuga, you'd say this is the age of Kali. This is a game of words which is used a lot, but it's actually not correct etymologically. Because in Sanskrit language, Kali is written with a long A and a long I. So it's Kali, and the word from Kali Yuga is written with a short A and I. And therefore, it's simply a different word. But if you are not Hindu or Sanskrit knowledgeable, then you can't see the difference because Kali is Kali. But one of them is Kali, and it means bummer for the dice game. And one of them is Kali, and it means the goddess of time. But still, the names are slightly related, because here we are talking about something of time, and the devouring, destructive power of time. And that's why there is a nearness of these two names, but it's not an identity. Because if we put it an identity, as you are going to see that Kali Yuga, in which we are today, is supposed to be a pretty disastrous, difficult, spiritual time. And then if you say, oh, this is the age of Kali, it means that Kali is bad, dark, evil, which is completely not true in the Tantric tradition. Kali is enlightenment, is pure enlightenment, and it has nothing to do with the decadence of Kali Yuga. That's why many people make a confusion about these things. And these four Yugas, therefore, are called Satya, Treta, Dvapara, Kali. And they correspond, of course, to many other things. Like, it's not only the Hindus that came up with this. For example, the ancient Greeks, they also say that humanity has four ages, like four seasons. That's the Greek philosophy of yore. And it says humanity was once in a golden age, which is number one. And then it went into the silver age, and then it went into the bronze age, and lastly, it's the iron age, like the least noble of the metals, of all those four metals. This is empirically telling us golden age is supposed to be splendid, and the iron age seems to be terrible. And that's exactly what they want to say. The Scandinavians had the same division, but I don't remember what names they gave to the others. I just know that to the last age, which is the Iron Age of the Greeks, or the Kali Yuga of the Hindus, in which we are now, they gave to it the name, the name of the Age of the Wolf. That now the wolf is devouring the moon, or whatever it's doing, and this age, when it ends, we have Ragnarok, the dawn of the gods, and the sort of apocalyptic times. It's the age of the wolf. I forgot the old Scandinavian name of that. You can seek these things easily on the internet, but I just want to give you the metaphysically accepted version so you understand that's which things are aligned with the tradition and which things are not. Of course, it's a division in four, according to some patterns on earth, which is reflected with Muladhara Chakra, divided in four, and it is analogous with the seasons, and therefore Satya Yuga, or the Golden Age, is like spring. While Kali Yuga, the Iron Age, 
is like winter, which says a lot about what's happening during those times. And I'm going to come back to that because that's precisely what, what we draw some conclusions from. Like the periods of the day. Spring is the, I'm sorry, Satya Yuga is the morning, the afternoon, the evening, and the night. So Kali Yuga is the night of the history. Again, it symbolically tries to tell us something. This duration of the cycle of precession, of, uh, and that cycles which are 6,400 years approximately, also generates an astrological confusion with the cycle that now soon we are going to finish the Kali Yuga. I'm anticipating something. And this makes many people say, oh, I heard about this. I read in a book that we are going to go into a new age, that uh, it's the age of Aquarius right now, or the Pisces, and we are going into the age of Aquarius. This theory of the Yugas has nothing to do with that. That theory of the precession of the equinoxes, according to which every uh, 2,000 years or something you change one astrological sign, it's a different theory, and it's not verified in practice. It is allegedly coming from Hindu astrology, Vedic astrology, and Western astrology. But if we had time, and we don't have time tonight, I don't need to go there, I could demonstrate to you that there is a very arbitrary factor, and it cannot be demonstrated that way. So this is just a favorite New Age theory, and this New Age theory is usually deeply anti-Christian, like the age of the Pisces was with Jesus, who was called Ictus, and symbolized like a fish in Greek by the primitive Christians, and now his time is over. That's, of course, what all the atheists and all the anti-Christians have been saying for 200 years. Fuck Jesus, fuck the Christian church, we want to be free of that yoke. And luckily, in 2043, we go in the age of Aquarius, and then we can have group sex in Times Square, because the Christian church and its yoke is not there anymore. It's just a sort of a fake sense of independence, which hides in it some anti-Christian propaganda by whoever is interested to do that. And uh, this New Age concept, it has been demonstrated by Michael Howard and other such authors that it is a part of a conspiracy. It's part of a network of secret societies which are generating a pseudo-spirituality which the Westerners today call New Age, but which is a chaotic system with no heads and no tails which more confuses people than actually brings something constructive. The biggest story in identifying this thing, which compares with the dial of a clock, is that this a new cycle starts always like at 12 o'clock. I put it there like at 12 o'clock. That's when Satya Yuga would start. So everybody would like to know when is this thing astronomically. <clears throat> I have some knowledge of mathematics. I have some knowledge of astronomy. And I have a pretty clear mind to look through all these documents and to try to find out what is metaphysically aligned with the tradition and what is confused. And I'm still saying it that I haven't found one single person that can give a decent date. For example, just to show you how people think, even Sri Yukteswar, who was a great admirable guru, he got carried on by it. Um, Kali Yuga, according to him, was finished on the 1st of March 1931 when he farted against the wind and gave the Kriya Yoga initiation to Yogananda. 
That was like the whole world and the whole yugas are spinning around his belly button. Because the, according to our Robindo, there was something which happened to him in prison when he was imprisoned by the British and he had the state of Samadhi. Others are finding like uh, when Krishna talked to Arjuna, three days later Kali Yuga started. There are all sorts of speculations and believe me, I've inquired quite a bit because I'm interested in astrology cycles, Vara Yoga and other such things and it's a technical thing which fits well with my way of thinking and I can say after all these years that it simply does not fit. That simply says if we would know when the 12 o'clock is, then we would know where the others are. Because the cycle is astronomical. It seems that this knowledge, there is somebody in Shambhala who whispers to 6 billion people, 7 billion people on earth, don't, 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 don't even think about it. You can't know this. Sleep. Because it's like a charm. It's like a spell. Everybody collapses in front of this one. And if they know, they don't say. I, why am I saying this? There are a few landmarks in history. Like every time when a yuga changes, usually there appears some sort of dramatic event. And that's the not good news in all this. I'm going to tell you a few things of the transformation here. Uh, there is a lot of information and I simply don't know with which to start. I hope I'm not going to overload you. You'll remember some things and then uh, you can ask me in the Q&A sessions if you want to know more or you can do your homework and study. The point is that these yugas, they usually the pattern which we see in the Hindu history and in other spiritual histories because everybody talks about this under a different form. We see that the previous yuga gets a bit of tired it's exactly like in the beginning you have somebody like Jesus coming. And then everybody is like, oh Jesus, I want to give my life. I want to be clean. I want to live like that. And 2,000 years later, people don't remember so much anymore. And that impulse which was given by Jesus and which was a great aspiration, people are like, yeah, but that was 2,000 years ago. Maybe it's not even true, you know. It's like, and look at all these priests and so-called Christian people. They are such a bum of bunch of assholes and so on. Like, how can you believe in this? And thus, it slowly, slowly decays. Like, in the beginning, there is something fresh, a new heaven, a new earth, a new beginning. And it's like God or the divine consciousness pumps some fresh energy, some soul energy. And everybody is so fresh, and then slowly, slowly, it decays. It goes low. So in the end of the yuga, things are bitter. Let me give you an example. The crossing from Treta Yuga to Dvapara Yuga, the one down to the 6 o'clock time, is considered to have been happening at the time of the sinking of Atlantis. Atlantis is supposed to be a disaster which happened as we stopped the second and went to the third. And the ancient history, even as quoted by Plato and by the ancient Greek historians says that the people of Atlantis, they had learned how to harness the secret energies of the sun and they could store it in crystals and, and they were enslaving all the continents around. And this imbalance went so bad that one night Atlantis went to the bottom of the ocean. Like so much negative karma was created that Atlantis simply broke into pieces and sunk. So, 
the end of the second part of the cycle and the beginning of the third was actually a great planetary cataclysm. And it has happened according to history, according to students in Egyptology and others. There's a lot of research about this Atlantis. Some people don't think it existed. But if it existed, it must have existed around 13,000 years ago. 13,000 years ago is 6,400 plus 6,400. Which means if that indeed was the case, now, not only that we are in Kali Yuga, we are close to the end of Kali Yuga. Which is very, very significant. Because Hindus are waiting for Kalki Avatara. Buddhists are waiting for Buddha Maitreya. Muslims are waiting for Imam Mahdi. The Christians are waiting for the second coming of Christ. And the Jews are still waiting for the Messiah to come. Everybody is waiting for somebody. And everybody keeps saying it's in the near future. It cannot be a coincidence that separate religions, all of them emit exactly the same pattern. There needs to be somewhere an intuition of some energies coming to an end. Second confirmation, let's take one more. The flood. In the Bible there is an episode which doesn't speak about Atlantis. It speaks about a later episode. It says somewhere 6,000 some hundred years ago, the giants, we don't know who the giants were, we speculate, the giants became really evil and tyrannic and dark and they were bent on warfare and crime and murder and they started mating with the daughters of man and eventually God said, that's enough. Enough is enough, I'm going to wipe them out. And God came to Noah and said, build an ark because you are the only one who is going to make it out of this. And then the flood came, everybody was wiped out, and we had a brave new world starting with Noah. And this is the crossing from Dvapara Yuga to Kali Yuga, according to metaphysicians today. And it did happen about 6,000 years ago, which is again alarming, because a quarter is 6,400. Of course, 400 plus minus can make a huge difference, because if it's going to happen in 15 years from now, then you are going to have to build an ark. And if it happens 400 years from now, maybe you will catch it in your next incarnation, in your next body. Or maybe you will not be in the physical world when it will happen. And therefore, uh, these are very, very big things. And believe me, every person who approaches these things rationally would like to know when. When is there a way to... Like, if I know it's not going to happen in my lifetime, then... I'm going to be relaxed at least about this one. And Kali Yuga is supposed to get darker and darker and darker and darker and darker. So whatever spiritual things are happening now, they are going to be less in 50 years from now. Like yoga has decayed. 100 years ago, yoga was something. At the time of Swami Shivananda, yoga was still something. At the time of the hippie time, it started going to the dogs. Today, 95% of yoga is just gymnastics and fitness. And people, it's a multi-billion industry of fitness, where people stretch like monkeys. You know? Where is the yoga of Shivananda? Where is the yoga of Ramakrishna? Where is the yoga of people who want to go in samadhi and activate their chakras and do all that thing? So yoga is in a decline. Can you imagine if it declined like this in 50 or 100 years? What will happen if this continues another 100 years? 
what will yoga be in a hundred years from now? And the screw is tightening. A fifty, hundred years ago, if you are in India and you dressed in orange and did yoga, people would give you food, like they do give to the Buddhist monks here. Today, they don't. If you go in your country to your social center and say, I've learned yoga from, from Swami Vivekananda, and I'm a seeker of enlightenment and philosophy and truth. And you guys, why don't you give me some social help so I can stay at home, read philosophy, meditate, and do yoga? They're going to put you in a straitjacket and throw you into an institution. You know, that's the support which you get later. What if a hundred years from now it will be like in the Christian persecution times in the Roman Empire? You say you do yoga, you go to prison directly. Or you are put in a mental institution like being enemy of the government, enemy of the state, because you are one of those people who doesn't want to mock in. Instead of drinking Coca-Cola and having three kids, you want to do yoga and to do a Shava diet and to be special. You know, it's like we can't have that. Today, a, a, a month ago, the relevant yoga alliance of North America has made a pact with the American Medical Association and the pharma industry and it doesn't allow us to put, if we want to have a license from Yoga Alliance, we cannot write the word therapy and healing on the Agama site because the doctors are pissed off that the yogis claim that they can also heal some diseases and they are not paying the money to the pharmaceutical industry and to the doctors. And they want to cut it. They simply want to choke us. We are not allowed to write the word therapy and healing. Well, for the time being, I can say, go fuck yourselves. But maybe in 50 years, I won't be able to say that, because the big brother thing would have tightened. That's the story with the yugas. We are in Kali Yuga, and it's going down. Still going down. And we don't know if it's going down for another 20 years, or for another 220 years. So... There are a lot of things where people would like to know something about these things. There is a blockage, as I'm telling. There are some attempts, some valiant attempts to calculate. And eventually for me, as a person that was involved with mathematics, physics, and science for many years, I can only tell you this, that there obviously needs to be some cosmic alignment in function of the position of the sun in our galaxy, and some other things. There needs to be an astronomical justification to this. Funnily enough, I haven't found one single decent explanation or attempt of explanation until today. They say uh, our sun, some, some new age idiots, I cannot call them anything else, they say it's when the sun aligns with the center of our galaxy. If you can believe what I just said now, you should go to primary school again. Because two points cannot align. It's only three points that can align. Two points are always aligned because you can draw a line between them. So the sun is aligned with the center of the galaxy. There needs to be a third thing to be aligned with the center of the galaxy and the sun. What? Which? Nothing. Nobody says anything. No? So that's why I say, there is a, you'll find a lot of colorful theories which are made for people who don't have a 101 in physics or in astronomy or something. A lot of bizarre theories which are written by amateurs for amateurs. And it's most of it just madness. Uh, that's the problem with all these yoga and things because it makes space for space cakes, for people who are just flying high and are telling a lot of bizarre things. So... We cannot really spot the beginning, 
but we know that that Atlantis happens around uh, happened around 13,000 years ago. We know that the flood of Noah, according to Christian theology, happened five six thousand years ago. And if that is so, then it means we are not just in Kali Yuga; we are in the final part of Kali Yuga. Now, Hindus are very specific about the fact that Kali Yuga is very rotten spiritually. They say, imagine spirituality like a cow standing on four legs in Satya Yuga. In Treta Yuga it stands on three. It's a, it's a lame cow. In Dvapara Yuga it's a cow that stands on two legs in precarious balance. And in Kali Yuga it stands on one leg. Like spirituality is almost not there. Traditional Indian texts, and I'm going to quote a very provocative quote for you from Mahanirvana Tantra, which is a tantric text which is about 15 centuries old, so it's not even very old. I'm not going to quote from Mahabharata or things like this, which are really, really old and a different mentality. I'm going to quote from a rather recent text. This is what Mahanirvana Tantra, which is an open-minded, playful, tantric text, like the tantric texts uh, have some elasticity of something. This is a quote from Mahanirvana Tantra about Kali Yuga, just to see the comparison. Now it's the shlokas number 37 to 50 from chapter 1 of Mahanirvana Tantra, when Shakti is asking Shiva, what can people do in these hard times? And she describes these hard times. And this was at the time when yoga was still strong in India, right? Now, the sinful Kali, sinful Kali, Kali age is upon them when Dharma is destroyed, an age full of evil customs and deceit. Men pursue evil ways. The Vedas have lost their power. The Smritis are forgotten. And many of the Puranas, which contain stories of the past and show the many ways which lead to liberation, will, O oh Lord, be destroyed. This is Shakti talking to her beloved Shiva. Man will become averse from religious rites, which is happening all over. No? I am bringing people back to Jesus. I am a yoga teacher and I make people believe in Jesus more than their church does in their own country, which is ridiculous. Man will become averse from religious rites without restraint, maddened with pride, ever given over to sinful acts, lustful, gluttonous, cruel, heartless, harsh of speech, deceitful, short-lived, poverty-stricken, harassed by sickness and sorrow, ugly, feeble, low, stupid, mean, and addicted to mean habits, companions of the base, thievish, calumnious, malicious, quarrelsome, deprived, depraved, cowards, and ever-ailing, devoid of all sense of shame and sin and of fear to seduce the wives of others. Vipras, these are the Brahmins, will live like the Shudras, that's the low caste, <clears throat> and whilst neglecting their own Sandhya, duty of caste, will yet officiate at the sacrifices of the low. They will be greedy, given over to wicked and sinful acts, liars, insolent, ignorant, deceitful, mere hangers-on of others, that's about the priest class, the priests, in India and by extension in, in any other religion, the sellers of their daughters, degraded, averse to all tapas and vrata. They will be heretics, impostors, and think themselves wise. They will be without faith or devotion, and will do japa and puja with no other end than to dupe people. They will eat unclean food, 
and follow evil customs. They will serve and eat the food of the Shudras and lust after low women and will be wicked and be ready to barter for money even their own wives to the low. In short, the only thing sign that they are Brahmanas will be the thread they wear. Observing no rule in eating or drinking or in other matters, scoffing at the Dhamma scriptures, no thought of pious speech ever so much as entering their minds, they will be but bent upon the injury of the good. This bitter description is a description which corresponds exactly to the Hindu opinion and uh, in a certain way it's hopeful because it means that these people know or claim that there was a time, even if that time was 20,000 years ago, when things were not so, when things were very different. Like this is a seasonal thing, even if it's a very long season, it's a seasonal thing in the history of mankind. And thus, there is a whole story, I'm going to go quickly over that, so I get to tell you the main spiritual things. There is a story that even the human civilization had a different center and was different in those four. For example, the Greek philosophers, the Greek historians, when they speak about the Golden Age, they say that the Golden Age didn't happen in Greece. They say that the Golden Age happened in a very, very northern place, which they call Thule or Hyperborea. Hyperborea, Boreas is the north wind in Greece. And Hyperborea is beyond the northern wind. And Plato or whoever writes about it says if you go north, it gets colder and colder and colder and colder. And then when you pass over a ridge, suddenly there is a temperate and wonderful climate. And it's all green. And that's where the Hyperboreans were living. People speculate if this means that you go in the hollow earth through a hole in the poles or if there existed some sort of artificial climate, microclimate, where do they know about this? This is the concept known in metaphysics, that the first civilization existing on earth were the Hyperboreans. And the Hyperboreans, it's not a, con it's not a coincidence, this is what generated some of those aberrant theories. The Hyperboreans were tall, blonde, blue-eyed people who were Aryans. And... Indian texts say those people were four up till six meters tall and they lived approximately a thousand years. They didn't do sex because they could do it with the eyes. They didn't need to do physical sex, animal sex. Women got pregnant just by desire. If they wanted to have a child, they could get impregnated by eyesight. So the Immaculate Conception is not new to Jesus Christ. It existed in the Indian literature way before that people can be born also not out of sex. And that those people were so spiritual that if they closed their eyes, they could directly go in states of samadhi. It's interesting that the Egyptian old dynasties of pharaohs, which are like beyond 6,000 years ago, many of those pharaohs are written like they ruled for a thousand years, or about that. And Egyptologists say, well, it must be wrong. They probably put an extra zero. But they put an extra zero for everybody. And such a repeated mistake is very... And then you go to the Bible, and you find out that Noah and Matushaleg and all those guys, they lived 500, 600, 800, 900 years of age. So it's everywhere mentioned that there were people who lived almost a thousand years. And they were tall. 
Remember that it speaks about giants in the Bible. So it talks about much bigger human beings. If you read books of mysteries, you are going to see that there are footprints in America and in other places. They found footprints in volcanic soil which got cemented by the water. And you have footprints of dinosaurs, of elephants, and you have some human footprints. Ten million years old. And guess what? They are about this big. They don't correspond to people that are 180. They correspond to people that are five meters tall. Where are those people? Who were they? When did they disappear? And all that. Well, the ancient Hindu scriptures have the memory of this, and they say people in Satya Yuga were tall, blonde, Aryan, spiritual, lived a thousand years, and all that. That was Satya Yuga. And Shambhala in those days was connected to them. Because they were like the center of the earth. And then in Treta Yuga, this Shambhala thing moved towards Atlantis. The civilization which ruled the second of those quarters, the summer, the, the silver age, was Atlantis. And they say that the connection of Shambhala with Atlantis moved via Ireland. That there are some spiritual traces in Ireland which show that the Irish ancient legends and cultures were connected to Shambhala. And then it went to connect it to Atlantis, and then Atlantis became shitty, as many empires do, sooner or later. And then it went to the bottom of the sea, and then this point of civilization started moving east through the North Africa, and it went towards Egypt, where it generated the Sphinx and the pyramids, and actually in that time the contact with Shambhala was in a small island in the Black Sea, which is called the Island of the Snakes, and the Greeks called it Leuke, the White Island. And then, after the Egyptian time, and after the flood, it moved in Asia, still going horizontally towards east, and it reached in a place which is north of Tibet, between Tibet and Mongolia, and uh, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, some of those uh, Russian places, Afghanistan, and it's a very desert place somewhere in the Gobi, and that's the last known location of uh, Shambhala, and uh, it went together with the Vedic culture of India. As the Indians migrated from Europe, the Indo-Europeans migrated to India, the Aryans, they called themselves, and again, they were more, more white-skinned than the indigenous population of India, and this was the last mutation. And um, these were the civilizations related with it, geographic localization, association with Shambhala, and uh, biological characteristics of people. That's why when I read, you said, but uh, it says here that people will be short-lived. Or what? Because the lifespan has increased with about 10 years in the last 50 years, but not comparatively with 1,000 years from your. It's a local variation, short-lived. That's why metaphysicians have an expression which a couple of my teachers used a lot because when they speak about the people of Kali Yuga, they said people of Kali Yuga are many, like rabbits, and very low in spiritual quality, very egoistic, materialistic, and short in body and short in lifespan. And this was put under the syntax, the people of today are the pygmies of Kali Yuga. Like we are pygmies with what happened on this earth. So in Satya Yuga, there were 150,000 giants, spiritual, benign, living in nature. 
And in Kali Yuga, we have 7 billion people and rising, living. Soon, there will not be even drinking water enough for all of them and all that. Ramakrishna Paramahamsa, who was a very not arrogant yogi, a very loving and compassionate yogi, he said for every country and for every race and continent and for the humanity, there functions this thing, that there is just a certain amount of spiritual energy which this planet can yield, and if the population increases too much, the amount per individual becomes less. So the more we become, the more we decay in quality. Low population will show high quality. Many people then were like mice. Many and small and short-lived and not very bright spiritually. That's the opinion of India and Tibet about Kali Yuga and this idea. And I could tell many more things, but time is running and I don't want to... Um, I, I just want to run a little bit through each issue to make, uh, e to make clear this concept of yugas. And the reason of the existence of the yugas is, of course, the universal evolution. For example, if you have some spirits which are extremely high, they don't want to evolve into low places. For example, Dalai Lama, the present Dalai Lama, was asked about this tradition of the Tibetans with tulkus, that lamas incarnate and they can be found as children and then you take and re-educate them quickly, quickly, and they can fulfill spiritual duties. And the Dalai Lama said, uh, the tulkus are a bit pretentious, a bit demanding spiritually. Like, they do not like to be organically united with men and women who are alcoholic, blasphemers, dark, selfish. It's like an offense for the aura of a tulku to be in the belly of a mother who is a Satanist and an alcoholic. And Dalai Lama said, alas, in the old days in Tibet, there were many parents who were very religious and they lived a pure lifestyle by Buddhist standards. And he said, today, due to the Chinese invasion, religion is forgotten and people are just doing capitalism instead of praying to Buddha. And because of this, the quality of the parents decreases constantly. So he said, I can predict that there will come a day when even Tulkus will not want to reincarnate again because it will be too offensive, it will be too disgusting for them to come in this humanity and it will become more and more difficult. That's what we're talking about, that the quality of the humanity decays in many, many ways. I, I can give you a simple example which I learned to see that that has a biological equivalent even I heard it from homeopathy. Homeopathic people, they tested homeopathic medicine by doing the, an experiment which is called provings. And the provings means that you take 10 healthy people or 20 healthy people and you start giving them sulfur, 10 grams of sulfur every day. And then you see what's happening in a month. Each one of them writes a report. And in this way, they find out what are the effects of sulfur. These provings have stopped in all the world homeopathy in 1950 because of the apparition of the antibiotics and vaccination. Ever since there is vaccination and antibiotics, homeopathic people say there is nobody healthy anymore. And people are getting worse and worse. The, one of the great teachers of homeopathy, the Greek teacher George Vitulkas, 30, 40 years ago, he said, just wait 
and you will see that America will get filled up with diabetic and autistic kids. And today, one-fourth of the kids tend to be autistic, one-third of the people have the chance to become diabetic, and it's terrible. And Vitulkas predicted it 40 years ago, because he said if you use vaccines and antibiotics like you use, you are going to destroy everybody's immune system, and the DNA of the people will go down. And the first generation will make terrible children, and the terrible children will get vaccine and antibiotics, and they will make terrible, terrible children, and it will just go like this. It will go from bad to worse. So we are witnessing even a biological decadence of the humanity these days, that even medically something is happening. They said if we have more hygiene and more medicine, the life expectation will grow and grow and grow. And it grew with the people born in the 30s and the 20s who got to live 80 to 90 years of age, and the people born in the 50s who were vaccined with antibiotics and they started ejaculating all day long in the sexual freedom years, now the life expectation is decreasing again. The young generations have less life expectation than people born in the 1920s and 30s, which is paradoxical and which is precisely... So the Hindus, without knowing medical things, they spoke about this thing, that life shortens, that a lot of things are going down, and of course, what interests us is that spirituality decays. The idea of the yugas is that in each yuga there is a place for spirits to incarnate. Like when they do, I'm going to take a very trite uh, example which some of you might not even understand fully. When they do lots for the world championship in football, soccer, then they, to make sure that the potential finalists don't fall in the same group and they kill each other from the beginning of the championship, they do a simple thing. They group the teams according to their value. They are high-value football teams, middle-value football teams, low-value football And when they establish the groups in the world championship, they take one from each so that they will not risk to take two top ones in the same group and make them eliminate each other. Exactly in the same way, the history of the earth is reserved for different groups of spirits. Not the people who incarnate today, they are not the same people which incarnated 18,000 years ago. 18,000 years ago, the people who incarnate today on earth, like you, either were incarnating on another planet from another solar system, or they were in a long, long break in the astral world, waiting. It's like a classroom. It's like the earth is a classroom. And if the classroom is busy with the senior pupils, then there is no place for the kindergarten. The kindergarten has to wait. Therefore, this history of, the man, of mankind says that in every yuga, a different category of spirits is incarnated. In Satya Yuga, 100,000 front runners, those people who are like living gods. They closed their eyes, they went into ecstatic states in superconsciousness. In Treta Yuga, less advanced spirits. In Dvapara, even less. In Kali Yuga, the pygmies. Many, many, but like rabbits, like rats, like, like mice. So, this, this is the theory which exists that the, the planet is divided and you can have at the same time some parallel things. Like at the same time you have Albert Einstein thinking about the theory of relativity and at the time when Albert Einstein saw the theory of relativity, there were people in Africa and in South America which were practicing cannibalism. 
on the same planet at the same year. And therefore, even on the same planet on the same year, you can find huge contrast of how civilized or how spiritual or how pure or how this and that people are. But the yugas are supposed to mean more like bigger distinctions between those. And uh, therefore, there is this concept of entropy, that in the end of Satya Yuga, even those spiritual giants, they become a little bit like you get more the garbage, the rubble. And that is a decadent Satya Yuga, and it needs to be replaced by a better Treta Yuga. So there is like a chainsaw. It's like a saw profile. It starts here, Satya Yuga. It goes down, down, down. And then enough is enough. 6,000 years have passed. And it starts up with a brave new world. And then it goes 6,000 years down, down, down. Entropy. Like Jesus is coming here, but here it's much less. And then you have again, to give a bump, you go to the Bronze Age. And then, and this bumps are usually illustrated by cataclysms. Like it was not possible to go from Atlantis to the next time softly. The Atlanteans, they had to be simply wiped out. It was not possible to go over the flood of Noah in a friendly way. It will, they were simply wiped out. Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who passed, a few, uh, passed away a few years ago, the great founder of the Transcendental Meditation, he said this, just to show that this is a widespread theory in yoga circles. He said, if at least 2% of the population of the world would practice Transcendental Meditation every day, we could have a soft apocalypse. Because there comes one more. When the end of Kali Yuga is, we again have the same thing. <clears throat> only that the one which comes is terrible. Because you have Treta Yuga, bump, Dvapara Yuga, bump, Kali Yuga, and then the bump doesn't go to just another Yuga. It has to go to Satya Yuga. So this one will be like four times bigger than these little bumps. So if one bump was the sinking of Atlantis and one bump was the flood of Noah, then what will be the next one? Which is supposed to be way bigger, by the way than the others. That's why this leads us to some apocalyptic theories that when the Kali Yuga is over, then you have the second coming of Christ and of the Imam Mahdi and whoever, and then there is indeed a brave new world coming up. It, it will take a lot to go from 7 billion mice to 100,000 enlightened beings that live a thousand years. Maybe there will be nuclear wars, mutations, a new race emerging, we don't really know. We can only speculate. That's the traditional theory that uh, there exists a divine plan, that things are not going unattended. Shambhala knows about these things and watches the planets every planet every day. The divine entities, the angels, the devas, and all the entities, and the great yogis of yore, <coughs> they know about these things, they supervise it, and that's why it becomes very significant if we are close to the end of Shambhala, to the end of uh, Kali Yuga or not. The Chinese have a proverb which says, may you live in interesting times. Well, believe me, if you live the sinking of Atlantis, it's a very interesting time. But it's not necessarily pleasant. Yeah. If you live at the time of the flood of Noah, 
it's definitely an interesting time to see how humanity can go from one age to the next. <clears throat> and thus, of course, um, I can quote for you from Vishnu Purana, from Linga Purana. Just go and write on the Google, Linga Purana Kali Yuga, and you are going to get pages and pages where the Hindu prophecies are written. There are lots of prophecies made already, the Oriental texts, and uh, of course there is a positive optimistic aspect to it, that um, the world is a teaching place, and if you promote, you go to the next yuga. That's what many Christian mystics have told me, that that's their understanding about the teachings of Jesus. That if human beings manage to rise their level of consciousness to Anahata Chakra, then you go to the next yuga. That's graduation. Graduation is go in Anahata. If you can go also in Vishuddha, Ajna, Sahasrara, that's an extra bonus for you, good for you. And you might reach enlightenment like Buddha, but the passing requirement is Anahata Chakra. It's very, very difficult to see today people that have a level of consciousness on Anahata Chakra. People who live in Anahata Chakra today, they will be called saints. Just for your curiosity, try to identify the life of a pretty much unknown American woman who called herself Peace Pilgrim. Just Google Peace Pilgrim and see the documentaries with Peace Pilgrim and you will going to see if you have ever seen a woman like that. And how often do you see people like that? Peace Pilgrim is a woman who had a level of consciousness of Anahata Chakra. And it's like one in a million, you know. It's like how many people go there. Of course, in yoga schools, you have people who try and try and many succeed. But unfortunately for the world in which we live, some of you are exactly those one person in a million that makes a difference where you are. And it is possible that some people in this hall tonight are the gurus of tomorrow and the spiritual luminaries of tomorrow. It's just the way history goes. And um, therefore, take the positive, optimistic aspect. Humanity is in Kali Yuga. The fact that you see so many terrible things, like statistics showed that the 20th century was the more war-dominated and the most bloody century in the history of humanity. It was the worst century, the 20th century. We're not becoming better just because we have airplanes and computers. It's actually not better. It looks better, but it's not really when you do the numbers, when you check the numbers. And that's why the optimist aspect is things are so fucked up because we are in Kali Yuga. Like, do not despair. That's why the yogis have given this information. Because many people can get desperate. They say, you talk about spirituality... Nobody is spiritual around. Even people who are supposed to be spiritual, they are liars and cheaters. And we heard about so many gurus who are assholes and cheaters. And the priests, the Christian priests are buggering little boys. And you know, it's like we live in a world where there is no scientific evidence of anything spiritual. Spiritual people are terrible as examples. There is no inspiration. There is no support. It's very attractive to surf on the internet all day long and to keep yourself busy with other things. Who wants to pray 10 hours per day? Who wants to meditate? Who wants to reach nirvana? Who wants to live in a moral and ethical way according to yama and niyama? Who wants to do things in the traditional way and so on? Nobody. 
but the explanation is not because spirituality is a loser and because spirituality is inadequate. The explanation of the yogis is because we are in Kali Yuga and you are wondering why does the grass disappear. Because it's winter, people, and that's what grass does in the winter. It always reappears in the spring, but in the winter it disappears. So it's a very important message because it says do not despair. The spiritual people are fewer and fewer in numbers. Krishna, 3,500 years ago, tells to Arjuna, Oh, Arjuna, out of thousands of people, one is ready to do something for their spiritual betterment. Like, there are more religious people than one in a thousand. But those are lip service, hypocrites. They don't really make any effort. But people who really make an effort, like they say, I'm not going to steal, I'm not going to gossip, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going... Like people who really discipline their lives in the name of a spiritual goal and who are saying, okay, me for God, I'm going to sit 10 minutes on my hand. I'm going to stand 10 minutes on my head. How many people are really ready to do something? Krishna says in thousands of people, one. Even if we are indulgent and we say in a thousand people, one, which is not what Krishna said, it means that if you live in a country of uh, 20 million people, in that country, there are about 20,000 spiritual practitioners. Like, the spiritual practitioners are at the maximum 0.1% of the population of a country. Probably less. Probably much less. And in Kali Yuga, the numbers become smaller and smaller. So, if any one of you in this room is contaminated with the virus of aspiration and yoga and spiritual practice, I've got bad news for you you are in 0.1% of the population or less. You are a minority. You are an ultra-minority. And other people don't care about you and think you are crazy and you should be put in an institution and you are garbage. Because the society is not caring about spirituality. If you'd be born in Satya Yuga, that's what everybody would do. But because, because you are born in Kali Yuga, everybody listens to Lady Gaga and Justin Bieber. And everybody is trying to get as much money as possible. And that's the thing which, that's the teaching. The teaching is, I don't know when Kali Yuga will be over. I honestly don't know. It eluded me, although I know a lot of things about a lot of esoteric things, and I've received a lot of secret information. This one somehow eluded me. Honestly, I don't know if this is happening in 20 years or in 200 years from now, but I know that it's happening relatively soon relatively at the scale of history can mean 400 years. It's still relatively soon. So it's not of relevance for us. But what I know is that we are in the end of Kali Yuga. And in the end of Kali Yuga, it's the pygmies that run the show. You will not find Jesus being a king and having all the power. Can you imagine what Jesus, if you would give to Jesus absolute power tomorrow, for one week. Can you imagine what Jesus would do? Can you imagine, like, all the things that we're alluding and saying, we wonder what would Jesus do with the homosexuals, you know? It's like, okay, we don't even want to think that way, you know? We don't want to go there. So that's why I say, in the modern society, Jesus would not last three years and a half. They would crucify him in one week. Because he would be the most politically incorrect person that exists. 
modern society cannot even take a man like Jesus. The Jews, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, they threw their capes and finic, the leaves of the fig tree or whatever it was, and they greeted him like the son of David. And basically they, it was, they were preparing like this man should become king. Can you imagine if Jesus would have been the king of Israel 2,000 years ago? What the history of Israel and the Middle East would have been? But of course the demons couldn't allow that to happen. Not in Kali Yuga. So they killed him and they killed his disciples. And for 300 years, if you just said, I'm Christian, you went to the Colosseum and were thrown to the lions. Or crucified alive or something. That's what happens in Kali Yuga. Rumi was in love with Shams al-Tabriz and the disciples of Rumi wanted to kill Shams al-Tabriz. Somebody poisoned Milarepa. Milarepa, who spent 40 years in a cave. And as soon as he came down to the village to teach yoga, some idiot put poison in his food. Like, what kind of world are we living in? I forgot his name, a big mystic of Islam. He stood up in the mosque and he said, I am Allah. And they killed him on the spot. Because you can't say that in a mosque. Ramakrishna, his mother said, he needs a blowjob. He is sick in his head. He is thinking about God too much. Take him to a brothel and give him a whore so that he cools down. Ramakrishna. You know, his mom thought, my boy is crazy. He needs an ejaculation to cool down. This is what I am saying. What kind of world are we living in? What, what is this kind of world that is killing its prophets and its saints? And you know, they, they poisoned Socrates. Socrates was not a saint, but at least he was a sage. He was a wise man. And he told to the Athenians, you are a hypocrite, and you are a hypocrite, and you are a hypocrite, and you are a hypocrite. And they gave him a cup of poison, and they say, why don't you drink this and leave us alone? You know, like, kill the bastard who tells you the truth. You know, what kind of society? What kind of world is this? The Roman Empire, starting with Tiberius or whatever, or with Caesar, and finishing to the last emperor when the Roman Empire fell down, 300 years, there was one emperor who was normal in his head. That's medical history, it's medical research. Marcus Aurelius, the philosopher, was the only Roman emperor who was healthy in his head. From Caesar to the last one, the least of them was epileptic. The least Caesar was epileptic. But Caligula and Nero and Messalina, these guys were full-on schizophrenics. What kind of world it is where the emperor of the most powerful empire of the time is a schizophrenic and the population sits and takes it in the ass? Why don't they stand up and say, we want a healthy person as a ruler, you know? We don't want manic mentals to run this place. This is the world in which we live. And the Hindus call this Kali Yuga. It's a form of criticism of the modern society. Julius Evola, uh, one of the great esotericists of the 20th century, Julius Evola wrote a book which has a significant term. It is a uh, title. It is called Revolt Against the Modern World. Like, I revolt, he said, against the modern world. The modern world is an abomination. Many things seem to be better because we have more comfort and electricity and this. But what do we pay for these things? Weren't we healthier mentally and spiritually at the time of Ramakrishna, at the time of St. Francis of Assisi? Or so? Wasn't there more purity? What about longer time ago? And that's why 
this information about Kali Yuga and uh, all the scientific confirmation, all the prophecies and texts and so on. There are many prophecies. For example, there is a text which was brought by, I think it was brought by, uh, what's his name? What's his name? Not Notovich, the other one. Nicholas Roerich, apparently a prediction made by the king of the world from Shambhala, who made predictions about the end of time, and it was given to the 13th Dalai Lama. And the Dalai Lama, the 13th Dalai Lama, I don't have it, there is a text of the prophecy. The 13th Dalai Lama made a prophecy. No? And he said very clearly, China is going to invade Tibet, this and this and that. The Tibetan culture will not exist as such anymore. In Tibet, you had a place where the high priest, the Pope, Dalai Lama, was the king, which all the secret societies from the French Revolution on, they are forbidding it. There should be no connection between the state and the church. Because they are afraid that the church will affirm itself. Again, so you have to have an atheistic state with an atheistic church. There is no more there and they have to be separate. In Tibet, they were not separated. In Tibet, the ruler of Tibet was also the spiritual head of the Tibetan lamas. That's why Americans have said it 30 years ago. Never ever while America is on the map of the world will Dalai Lama become the ruler of Tibet. We can do a bit of moonwalking, pretending that we fight with the Chinese, and, but in the end, nobody has any interest to put Dalai Lama again in Tibet. Because Dalai Lama is exactly the opposite of what the modern cultures are doing. There is no more spirituality with religion. The only place where there is spirituality with religion is in Iran, where the ruler of Iran is the Ayatollah, I don't know what his name is. And you might not like what the Ayatollah, what his name does, but fact is that there you have a ruler who has the power and the religion, both in his hand. And that has become forbidden. And that's why I'm saying there are many, many things in the Oriental texts about the kinds of decadence which will appear, how society will decay, and um, it becomes... More and more from many, many standpoints, and there are many, many such prophecies, I'm not going there. And thus, um, I'm doing now a conclusion to this. There exists a theory that the history of humanity moves in, cir in circles. And maybe it spirals, maybe it's not identical circles, but it comes back to the same place, like spring comes back every year. In this thing, which lasts 26,000 years, Apparently, we are in the end of the last quarter, in the end of Kali Yuga. That's why the spiritual life is not very bright, and the people who do spirituality are neither encouraged nor praised nor supported, and spirituality is very little. And it's very difficult to keep spirituality. Proportionally, the number of spiritualists decays. In Tibet, when the Dalai Lamas were kings, there were centuries, like in the 15th century or 16th, were one-third of the population, and some researchers even say one-half of the population, which is gigantic, lived in monasteries. Can you imagine a society where every third person is a monk or a nun and meditates all day long? And the idea is, I meditate for you, you produce some wheat and barley for me. You feed me, I pray for you. There's a symbiosis. It's wonderful. But the Tibetan civilization could not survive in the 20th century. 
a little bit of the Tibetan civilization is surviving in Bhutan, which is an ultra-Buddhist kingdom, and they don't allow you to go there. They didn't have television in Bhutan, because television spreads Nestle and Coca-Cola and the French Revolution ideas and so on, and they don't want it in Bhutan. And if you want to go, you have to spend $300 per day. So not everybody can afford to go a week or 10 days in Bhutan. And stuff like this. And there's more. The Tibetan culture was like this. It was an isolated spiritual culture. When the Talibans were ruling Afghanistan, one day they gave an order and everybody threw their televisions out the window. When the Americans invaded Afghanistan, Afghanistan didn't have television. I'm not saying that I admire that because I have four computers in my house. I'm a Mercurian freak and I like to look on computers and to be online and so on. But those people going by the ancient things, they said television, what does it bring in the eyes of people? Truth. Go. There is a movie made in 1961 by a French-Canadian filmmaker, famous. One of the best there was in documentaries called Arnaud Desjardins. Arnaud Desjardins made four or five splendid documentaries and one of them is called The Sufis of Afghanistan. Get to see that documentary. I'm sure you can download it. It, it will make your hair stand like this when you will see what the atmosphere was in Afghanistan in 1961. Before the Russians and before the Americans. Before these people started cultivating poppy to sell heroin to the world. When Afghanistan was the way it was. Thousands of people would spend whole nights doing zikr and praying to Allah and doing pranayama and things. And you see images from those circles. They allowed him to film from evening till morning. And what's happening to those people? It's incredible, you know. You, if you see that documentary, you'll say, what is that country? I would like to visit that country. You know, it's like, that's a magic country. Where, where are these things happening? Well, don't worry. The Russians and the Americans took care. It doesn't happen anymore. It has been squashed once, squashed twice. Now it's the biggest producer of heroin in the world. That's, that's how it goes. So, um, Kali Yuga is uh, both a sad statement, but it is also an encouragement. Because Kali Yuga says, it's transient. It's not your fault. It's not the fault of yoga. It's simply winter. If you are trying to plant roses in winter, they will die. There are no roses in the winter. Winter is not the time for certain things to happen. In winter, if somebody, if you are the flowers of this winter, flowers are usually in greenhouses in the winter. They are protected, isolated. And therefore, uh, we never think that we are going to see some big-time real spirituality before the end of Kali Yuga. That's why this is a comfort and a guidance. If you are a tulip farmer, you plant your tulips in November. Exactly in the same way, if you know we are in Kali Yuga, and we are 150, 500 years before the end of Kali Yuga, then this is the time to do this and this and this, and it's definitely not the time to do this and this and this, which probably cannot happen. That is a very down-to-earth thing. It will give you a measure of the world in which you live, of what you can expect, and so on. You are going suddenly to see that somebody gets power. And then you will not be surprised to see that the person who gets the power 
is not spiritual or it's a demonic type of spirituality. Like George W. Bush claimed he was twice born and spiritual. Of course, he was a murderer and an idiot. No? And therefore, that's what I say. You would not expect that Mahatma Gandhi will become the president of America. It won't happen in Kali Yuga. Because if Mahatma Gandhi would become the president of America in the 21st century, the world would be turned upside down completely. But Mahatma Gandhi, even in his own country, he got shot. That's the world in which we live. That's the characteristic of Kali Yuga. That's why those of you who want to do spirituality, you have good news and bad news. You are in a very small club. Most people will consider you marginal eccentrics, just to use a polite expression. And the good news is that because there is few of you, you are going to receive a lot. Shambhala is pumping a lot in spiritual practitioners in this century. I got to hear and to receive some learning, which if I, if I would have been born a thousand years ago in India or in Tibet, I couldn't have got a quarter of the esoteric initiations which I got in this life. Because it's Kali Yuga and because we have computers and national libraries, my access to information and to initiations has been easier. So there is a compensation. And yes, it's true what they say. I did have major spiritual experiences in this life. And I consider myself the last of the practitioners. You know, I consider myself like, if I compare myself to Ramakrishna or to Milarepa, I feel like I want to find a patch of sand and bury my head into it. You know, it's like, I did not do 40 years of yoga in a cave. I did some yoga, I did some serious amounts of yoga. Not 40 years like Milarepa, or like Totapuri, or like others and others. So then I ask myself, like, how the heck did I get the same spiritual results as some of them did? Because it sounds very unfair. And my gurus explained to me, they said, it's not unfair. It's because you did it in Kali Yuga, and in Kali Yuga the pressure and the temptation is so much bigger that very few are the spiritual heroes who dare to take this path. And then there appears a compensation. The masters from Shambhala, they pray for you so that you should be blessed faster with results because they know that you don't have the power of Milarepa. They know you are not born in the century of Milarepa, in the condition of Milarepa. And that's why unworthy people like me they get a lot in a relatively short time. And so can you. So there is a huge benefit also of doing yoga in, and spirituality in Kali Yuga. You are fewer. You are not treated well. The whole world seems to run in the opposite direction and to do stupid things. And you will have doubts. And you will be troubled. But if you cross that bump and if you take some spiritual decisions, you are going to be helped so much, so much. I'm teaching things about chakras, about the resonance, about Kundalini. In the first level of Agama, we're teaching things. Believe me, I know the history of yoga. If you went a hundred years ago in India to a guru and tried to learn these things, he would have tested you and kept you on a waiting position at least three years, probably more, probably the double of that. You just had to sweep the floor in his hut without getting anything just to test if you deserve it 
And if you and today people are getting things which were gold, which great masters longed for, and they didn't get them. And today you are just uh, you think you are paying for it by paying eight thousand baht, and you are getting the cream of the cream. That's because it's Kali Yuga. There is a downside to Kali Yuga, and there is also a great upside to Kali Yuga. And that upside is this, that the secrets of the secrets are open because the time is short, because aspiration is low, because confusion is great, there's a lot of spiritual support, and you may have the chance to achieve in 10 years what Milarepa achieved in 40, with about doing about five times more yoga every day than you do in those 10. It's almost unfair how much benefits you get because you are the only one to do in a difficult time. That's why Kali Yuga is a difficult time, but there is a compensation for it. And I want to encourage you about that compensation because it's very meaningful. Yeah, you got a little bit of an idea about what the theory of the yugas is, and that's why I and other lecturers in Agama, we say now in Kali Yuga, things are like this and things are like that. That's what Kali Yuga is. Kali Yuga is the winter of mankind, the age of the wolf, the Iron Age, and uh, not only that, because it was the Iron Age at the time of Jesus. It wouldn't have happened in Satya Yuga, that Jesus would have been born on earth and people killed him. Honestly, you cannot really kill a person like Jesus, like somebody who raises the dead and walks on water. Like, what kind of person do you have to be to try to kill one of those? It's like, in Tibet, they say one of the, there are ten heinous crimes or something like this, and one of the worst possible spiritual crimes which will bring endless amounts of negative karma is to kill a Buddha. Not even to kill a Buddha, to shed the blood of a Buddha. It doesn't say if you kill him or not. No? And it's par with killing your own mother and a few other, making two spiritual schools fight against each other, like two sects go to war against each other, and a few such things which are religiously very serious. Very, you know, like Jesus was at least a Buddha, if not an avatar. What kind of spiritual karma results from killing a man like Jesus? And then killing 11 of his 12 apostles. And then killing thousands and tens of thousands of people by martyrdom, by terrible martyrdom. Just because they have a faith. They believe that Jesus is the king of the universe. And that's what they want to believe. No? And that's why um, <clears throat> I'm saying we live there was Kali Yuga 2,000 years ago as well. And, you know, you can see these Kali Yuga patterns for the last thousands of years. And that's why many people, not knowing any other history, they get disappointed. They say, it has always been like this. When Moses went to the Pharaoh of Egypt and told him, liberate the Jews, the Pharaoh tried to kill them all. Yeah, but that was 3,000 years ago and it was still during the Kali Yuga. Nothing new. There is nothing new there. And when you know only that, you shrug your shoulder and you say, eh, it's always been like this. This is how people are. No, it's not true. I believe in a humanity which is more luminous than that. And the Hindu and Tibetan scriptures, they tell us that there was a time when humanity was noble and light and golden and spiritual. And that this time of Kali Yuga is just 
the winter of mankind. So bear it with stoicism, because it's not going to last forever, and it doesn't represent the essence of this planet. It's just a phase which is necessary, because if we have some spirits who just have incarnated as human beings ten lifetimes ago, and before ten lifetimes ago they were dogs and monkeys, then those people are still at a very primitive level, and all they want is to go to Manchester United and yell and get drunk and fight with the police, or you know, play some hooliganism and stuff like this, and all their life is like, <laughs> is this humanity? It's a phase of humanity. It's one phase of humanity. It's the kindergarten of humanity, but it doesn't represent all of humanity. There are other things, much better, much higher. Don't lose your hope. Read the traditional literature, and you are going to see that the traditional literature makes it clear that spirituality does exist independently, and uh, we are just uh, happening to be in this life, in the winter of mankind, and winter is necessary. You wouldn't have a spring if there was no winter. So the winter has a necessity. It may be unpleasant and barren, and many things are there, but it's necessary in the big picture. That's why the great yogis never try to stop Kali Yuga. You can't stop Kali Yuga. Kali Yuga comes from God. It's a dharma. It's a thing of the way the universe is made. It's part of the history of this planet. Every 26,000 years, Kali Yuga comes again. And then again, the same things are being repeated, and the same thing. Uh, there is a hope in this thing which I say, and the hope is that, of course, if your spiritual level is going to increase, and if you are going to be like Jesus would have wanted you to be, loving, forgiving, spiritual, then next time you won't be born in Kali Yuga, except that you might be born as Swami Shivananda and as Mahananda Mai, like visitors, like great spiritual persons who come here to help. And of course, they get a lot of rotten tomatoes, and they get a lot of mistrust, and they'll get a lot of flack and negativity, but ultimately these are masters that came to help. Everybody. Ramakrishna, if you go to India, the Marxist party of, uh, of West Bengal says that Ramakrishna and Vivekananda were crazy and homosexual, and that was it. Like, you know, everybody says something. Russian authors during the communism, they wrote books in which they said that Jesus is a pathetic schizophrenic. He probably studied, suffered from schizophrenia. The list continues. I can give you endless examples. When I was in Rishikesh, I asked an old man about Swami Shivananda, and he said, Shivananda, I knew him personally. I was a child when Shivananda was there. Shivananda was the biggest womanizer and homosexual that I've ever seen in my life. Obviously, if that would have been the case, a lot of people would have written about it because... People are just waiting to write something about a person like that. But funny, that old man was carrying this wave of hate. Even after his death, Shivananda had to be maligned because some demonic entities were very unhappy that people admire Swami Shivananda. Then you have to put him down. You have to drag him through the mud. Either it's Vivekananda or it's Shivananda or it's Rumi or it's Jesus or it's something, you have to... Oh, Jesus was not celibate. He was bumping pelvises with Mary Magdalene all the time. He even sprayed her a lot of time. They had two kids and so on. What's this? There's just a tendency to just put Jesus down. Because if he's celibate 
and he has children by looking in the eyes, then he's an angel and he's too much. And you have to diminish his stature by talking bad about him and speaking inferior things about him. Because otherwise it puts you in inferiority. Like I'm a dirty fornicator and Jesus was walking on the clouds of the sky. And that puts me in a very bad position. So instead of me rising myself, I prefer to drag him down, to drag him through the mud a little bit, so that doesn't make it so intolerable for myself that I fail at that comparison. Kali Yuga. This is Kali Yuga. Instead of choosing great examples and admiring them and striving to equal them, we are trying to destroy everything. We're trying to destroy as much as possible, diminishing things in that way. That's the story of Kali Yuga. And so don't be sad. Accept it. It's I didn't invent this. I have learned it. It's in all the traditional treatises. And it's a well-known thing in the world of yoga. There are some differences as about to when did it start, when will it end, and all that. But the fact remains, we are in Kali Yuga. And Sri Yukteswar was wrong. Satya Yuga did not start in 1932. Because if it would have started, we wouldn't have Hitler and concentration camps and genocides and genocides and genocides and everything which came after in so many places and in so many ways. That's not Satya Yuga. That's even a deeper Kali Yuga. So with all the enthusiasm of Yukteswar, he was actually wrong. And the Kali Yuga still continues big time. You will see the signs of it. There are so many things which corroborate. You know that Virgin Mary had an apparition in Fatima in Portugal in 19-something. And she made a prophecy apparently about this thing. And the Catholic Church refuses to publish that prophecy. They published the, two prof- the first two prophecies and the third they refused because they think it's going to be harmful to the Roman Catholic Church. And it's like Virgin Mary said something which can harm the church. That's very strange, right? So, um, yeah, I could speak about this the whole night, but there is no need. You got the point. Ask me questions if you want. Study, do your homework, and slowly, slowly you are going to understand more about this. It's enough for tonight. Thank you all for joining the satsang and uh, resisting with all this teaching. And see you in the Q&A and in the other satsangs.